0: Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest startup community, inspiring, educating and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators and game changers from the fastest high growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes and grow together. There is no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all welcome back. This is the Startup Growing Global Podcast. I'm Chris Jonu, and today we are talking all things corporate innovation. And we've got one of our legends at Inner Leaps, De Desturk, who's also the co author, the author, not the co author, of the Ten X Growth Machine, a title of which I step up in the interview. Fantastic. Um, about how companies can innovate, scale and win. And so he's a he's a um, growth strategist, and venture-building consultant for Fortune 500 companies around the world. And after like running these programs for all these multinationals and helping them innovate, you know, uh, prevent being disrupted, um, you know, and growing, um, you know, both their core business and, and these kind of moonshot ideas, um, he, cre- he wrote the book, um, how, you know, Lessons from the Trenches. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Enjoy. Welcome, Misha. Nice to see you, buddy. Thanks,
1: Chris, for having me.
0: Um Misha is joining us from Innerleaps, and um and we're I'm excited to talk about innovation today and, and um and all the things that happen in Innerleaps. Uh, for those of you that don't know um Innerleaps sister city uh sister company of Startup Bootcamp and the Talent Institute and they're focused on Corporate innovation in the in the food and consumer product space. How am I doing, Misha?
1: That's uh, I think a very good introduction. All right. Um. So,
0: Misha, I always ask. You know, I go. I want to kind of go back through your history a little bit to give give context yeah. to the audience how you how you got where you are uh, yeah. as one of the you know the partners there at Innerleaps and working on you know these big brands. Um. And I usually go this far back. So let's see. Was there a mother or father that was an entrepreneur?
1: So that's a good question. So from my my direct parents uh, were entrepreneurial. so my father had an own practice in uh, in a very different realm that I'm working at, that's the, the psychoanalysis. so helping people out who are having mental uh, stress and these types of things. Um, but my grandparents they um, they set up uh, a textile, uh, so uh, textile uh, industry. So they had their own company in making shirts and pants and these types of things. And that was before the Second World War. Um, so I think there was always, uh, let's say, a more entrepreneurial spirit. And um, what is also interesting, basically my whole family, um, my aunts, my uncle, um, my parents, they were also all musicians. Yeah? So they had the tendency right. to, crea- to create to create. And uh, I don't know if you know the parable that uh, Steve Blank is making that, you know, um, basically entrepreneurial people or entrepreneurs are also a little bit like artists. Eh? They want to create yep. things and, um, and make something. So, yeah. So it was, a, it was an interesting uh, interesting background and family.
0: Yeah, well, I agree on the artist. You know, I, I kind of consider myself an artist, right? Like, yeah. um, and, and, then, and then what was your education?
1: Yeah, so it started out, Chris, you know, I was really, I was a bit of a person that was easily distracted at high school, right? So I was more working on uh, other types of things than uh, biology or mathematics at school. Um, So I always had my own little projects and I was a big fan of uh, basketball. So I was a little bit searching in, you know, when I was 16, 17, you're searching, at least I was searching for, okay, what I'm going to do, right? And um, what makes sense to pursue. And um, I studied, uh, my first education was law. That was uh, a very uh, wrong choice for me. Um, but um, <laughs> all all good at the end. So uh, finally, I've, I figured out that um, organizational change implementation management um, was more my direction so really helping uh, people within large companies to you know um, help them create innovative ideas and how you implement these so that's sort of the where i ended up you know doing the masters and uh, now working on a phd so actually um, i started out a little bit slow uh, and once i found the passion then it went fast (laughs) Yeah, yeah, startup speed. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And then can you just give, like, the listeners a little bit of an introduction to um, the startup bootcamp uh, ecosystem and how it kind of evolved into analytics, you know, I I know the story, um, but
1: just for their benefit. Oh, absolutely. So, look, on the personal side, I founded a couple of startups in 2011, 13, and 15. First in digital health, then in uh food delivery, and uh still on uh, personalized nutrition, still working on that, but more on um now on the backseat, I would say, so not operationally involved. And around that time I also got introduced to start a bootcamp myself as a founder, and uh got to know the guys and um the ecosystem and it's really about helping young companies grow, eh? because there's so many variables and things that you need to have in place um but founders tend to forget at one point at least also for myself that first what matters most is are we making a product that a customer uh is dreaming about Uh, because before you know it you're running after investors and uh, you know you have arguments with founders and finding right people and then yeah they they also brought me back to the essence uh, the customer the problem and the product Mm -hmm. um so bringing back focus so that's startup bootcamp for me helping young companies grow and then we had in that time uh of course this uh, corporate organizations could join and eh? they could join these started bootcamp programs in different verticals like food tech or fintech and um yeah and they were very charmed by the speed in which we helped um founders and founder teams you know validate their risky assumptions and eh? so we think this is the customer did you actually spoke with these people yes or no Um, we really pushed them out of the building now and that was something for corporations like wow um that is something we need to get back right we need to get back uh, into close contact with the customer because you know large organizations um they become so big and they hire agencies to get their customer insights yeah and it's you Know there's a disconnect at one point between uh, the product people and the customers, especially in large organizations. And of course, these corporations were very fond of, I say, more lean startup um, rapid prototyping ways of working. Um, so basically, in 2013 14, these corporations asked us, Look, it's fantastic what you do with these startups, but uh, we also have our own internal innovation projects um can you help us out and then uh let's say InnoLips was uh, born not knowing that of course corporate innovation you know it's it's a it's a bigger challenge i would say huh? because a startup needs to win in the market but a corporate startup how we call them nowadays yeah they need to win in the market but also have their you know internal people aligned um, Legal people, IT people, uh, senior management. So there's a whole other playing field that you also need to conquer. Yeah, that was, um, and that's uh, the challenge that we're working at this moment.
0: Yeah, and well, and and like that's no easy thi- no easy task, right? Because sometimes, no. yeah, you've got half the team on board, or the you know the CEO gets it, but there's always, um, yeah, a lot of people Look, that and- making
1: money the way <laughs> they used to. Yeah, I know absolutely, yeah. And you know what of course what we do is we help speed up the product development process and we put back the customer at the heart of it. Huh? I think that's the the smallest summary I can give you. But what mm. we don't say is basically we also um, are initiating a more cultural transformation, uh, because our way of working and thinking um it's it's 360 degrees different. Uh, so we don't start working on the product. We are start uh, developing a customer, which is very different. So we don't talk about solutions in the beginning. We talk about customers, their problems, um, and focus on that. And from there, we prototype different solutions. And that's 360 degrees change in how they operate now. But we don't tell them in the sense that, look, um, you're going to work now with us and we tell them of course it's a very different way of working but they figure out later that hmm, this is you know first of all this is great but it it also means a big change for us if we want to implement this and um, how people are thinking how they are um, performing their work um, so it's um, I think it's a very beautiful challenge to pick up because I think large companies can really benefit from it but as you say, it is—it's uh, not a simple task.
0: Well, the well, the opposite though, right, is pretty scary, right? And I think, like to your point, like it's kind of relatively new. You know, you guys were the first um,
1: in in well in the world or Europe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we were. Yeah, so so with InnoLeaps in that time, we were really pioneering. Yeah, yeah. it's not like that. You go and venture building in itself—it's a little bit older, huh? so. You had Idealab, of course, and a couple of other ones in Silicon Valley. Um, But in Europe, I would say we were pretty early in the sense that um, we do it with a corporate. So we're not a complete standalone unit that builds a business. um, Because we also know that if we want to launch a certain type of innovation or business, uh, we cannot do it completely separate. You will always need um alignment within the corporation, alignment um you know around legal and IT um and also have access to their resources because I think that's the beauty. Yeah. Um, a large corporation has a lot of funding, has brands, has salespeople, um, and how can we leverage that to scale fast? You know, that's that's for me the the ideal combination.
0: Yeah, so and then like you know to kind of Just for the listener, as is kind of like um, you know, um, uh, I guess for their benefit is you have this you know these examples like you know Netflix and Blockbuster and Kodak and 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 all these kind of giants you know that refuse to change their business model. I think surely that's added to the fact that like all right, well, there's these young startups that come and you know cut our lunch and then you know. outgrow us in such a short span shit we need how are they how are they doing things how are they operating and yeah. wanting wanting to 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 try that on right otherwise yep. potentially losing yeah. everything
1: uh, look i mean i don't know if you know the latest uh, statistics around successful product launches but uh, i was reading what was it like a month ago a new pub- publication about <laughs> A minimum of 30,000 products are launched every year, and uh, 70 to 80 percent fails. Uh, I mean, come on, that's a huge uh, failure rate. Um, And then, if you see how more young companies uh, are not restricted by any corporate problem, uh, a corporate policy, or uh, channel conflict, or cannibalization, a startup doesn't have this. You know, they don't have these problems. I would say. So they can go. They can go fast. Understand the customer. Launch products fast. So there's also they need to change. You know, at one point, it's just uh, inevitable. I would say.
0: Yeah, and, and and then so you know, fast forward a little bit, right? You yeah. you you guys are working with major, uh, you know, multinationals. Um, you know, I, I can I can I can name who's on the site, right? So you know, Heineken. Nestle, all these these big groups, and and you're yeah. running these programs around the world, and then, and then you're kind of implementing um, this program to a point that you then start to, you know, realize maybe some of the shortcomings in in in, in the you know the common, um, you know, Silicon Valley methods and stuff. So you've kind of now yeah. developed your own. Um, yeah. Take on it, right? And that's the was the premise for the book. If I'm if I've got it right,
1: yeah, that's correct. Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah. So what what we have learned is that um, lean startup is fantastic. Rapid prototyping has huge advantages, uh, but bringing this back to a corporation um, and go beyond the MVP phase, uh, which I think is very important, because. Mm-hmm. You know, the the challenges are with the scaling part. eh? So we can all run uh, amazing programs. There are a lot of other companies that can also run these programs around, um, you know, understanding the customer, identifying different solutions, prototyping them, launching MVPs. But the goal is not to launch MVPs. The goal is to launch a business eh? and to to scale it and and to make uh, revenues. Yeah, and that's, uh, and then within a corporate organization, a couple of mechanisms kick in. eh? So I think you already know that uh, Clayton Christensen, uh, a long time ago, already identified the innovator's dilemma eh, within a corporation is that uh, a large company doesn't recognize small opportunities. And so they find uh, it very difficult to invest in. a new disruptive innovation, which is still small, which can be huge, of course, on the longer term. Um, but why would I invest in something small? Um, well, I also can invest in something that can become big very fast, eh? more running the core business. Yeah. And that's the... So they they don't see small opportunities. That's the that's starting point. That's the difficulty.
0: And yeah, so you talk very much around like this this dual core core approach. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, so it's a couple of terms for it. So some, Certain people call it ambidextrous organization and dual core. But basically, the idea is that you have a core business. Uh, like Steve Blank also said, look, there's a difference between search and execution. Uh, and if you think about the consequences of that small sentence, it's pretty big. So startups are searching for repeatable business and scalable model um, and large companies execute their existing business model so if you look at companies that we work with they're all organized to execute at scale Uh, so they think they know the customer they know how to execute let's put it on the whole world in shops uh, and make money instead of the world is getting really more uncertain uh, and at least COVID accelerated a couple of trends Um, How do we deal with this uncertainty and how can we go from small ideas, bringing bringing them in a protective environment to a certain scale? And that's something that you need to do within a separate uh, organization, system, whatever name you would like to give it. And there you see the, the ideas of innovation labs coming up. But the problem is, is that innovation labs, they come and they also go. Uh, so the the question becomes: On how do you manage this corporate venture building life cycle? Uh, because uh, PepsiCo had a lab, then they shut down. Disney did the same. Um, so it's difficult to to create this separate dual core engine, but then also mature it. I would say uh, so that. You can actually go from idea to a large business, and that takes time. Okay? So we need to have patience. But that also means that I need to manage uh, a lot of other things within a corporation so I can actually get the time and money to make a small idea big. So that whole dual core concept is about setting up a separate, I would say, entity where entrepreneurial-driven people will work on new types of innovations there's a different culture there's a different innovation process so not the regular stage gate process but a more lean innovation process um, from idea to deployment um, different metrics so innovation accounting how to measure these young ideas to a certain point how to invest them more from a VC perspective and all these variables um, something that you need to work on uh to scale innovations. Because otherwise you get stuck at the MVP stage. And if you don't manage your internal investment decisions and funding, um yeah it will die. You know that's that's the that's just also an inevitable thing. And um I think that's uh that's that's also the premise of the second book that I've written. Yeah.
0: Um so yeah, so I think the question would be, you know, um, I wanted to talk about like the parallel between managers um, becoming, you know, key stakeholders becoming essentially venture capitalists. And and if you could elaborate, because I kind of think this goes hand in hand, if I'm correct, with the reason these innovation labs pop up and then sometimes drop off is because they don't secure the investment they need. Yeah post the like, the, like you said, like the MVP cycle.
1: Can you just talk about that
0: for a
1: little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you look at how the big, the, the problem is the, how the large organization is organized to make money, right? So they have a certain business model with certain margins, uh, incentive systems connected to it. Um, so the whole system is designed to make money in a certain way from a certain business model um and that is something that if you go for innovations um that business model can be different right? that's also most of the time one of the ideas around innovation is that how can we you know disrupt ourselves look at competitors how can we be unique differentiating again etc cetera, etc cetera. then if you look from the perspective okay, if you are a manager in a large company uh, you try to bring more efficiency, uh, improve margins, improve scale. But if you look at what innovators do, entrepreneurs do in the beginning, it's of course not scalable at all. Uh, you have some prototypes, you talk to customers, there's nothing scalable. Um, The margins are non-existent, there is no revenue. So if you look from a corporate management perspective at what innovators do, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Huh? So that is where we need to, let's say, change perspectives or put on different glasses to view. And one of the perspectives that you can have is how does an investor look at um, opportunities? Um, and that is, let's say, a very different um, approach because where you see that large corporations focus on a couple of large bets, I would say, um, you know, uh, a VC is also looking more from a portfolio perspective. So there are a lot of interesting opportunities out there. You cannot bet everything on one uh, team or one product. Um, so we need to spread our risks. We need to have more bets, uh, well-educated bets, I would say, um, and understand how they move in their maturity level, did they have a customer? Is the size big enough? Does the product get traction? How fast can we grow? Um, you know, so these are all questions more relevant nurturing a young business growing, uh, and that's that's what you would like to enable. Not so much that a corporate manager is becoming a, a VC person, but having that lens uh, is just very necessary. Um, to protect the young initiatives and um, fund them appropriately but also stop them if there is not an opportunity and i see that that's very difficult because the more time and money you spend on a project uh, the more attached right, you get to it it's very difficult to pull the plug out of a program or a project that you're working on for two years invest 20 millions it's a very difficult choice um in comparison to hey let's you know let's run a three months program see if there's an opportunity we spend some money you know if it doesn't work we kill it or we make a, a change a pivot right it's a very different uh very different approach and that's what we try to enable train uh challenge um to make sure these investment decisions um are made well and and you
0: know if i look at like you know Corporate innovation um, in terms of say internal versus external, uh, and mm-hmm. you know companies you know going through say a startup bootcamp program and doing um, looking externally to to try and solve the problem versus inner leaves where you, I guess you're uh, you know it's um, you know teaching the um, teaching people how to fish. I don't know that's the only analogy that came to my head at the time. Um, where does it overlap and where does it is it is it complementary is that is that a matter of um you know stepping back to say look this is a better solution to this problem how do you see those kind of um working together or are they separate and yeah that's no, um,
1: a good it's a good point it's a very good point and um, i see it really as um let's say um it, it serves the same goal but it has a it's a different path, uh, but it should be part of the same innovation process. So to give an example, um, sometimes we get a brief in, okay, we would like to launch a certain product plus service in Europe somewhere. Okay, great. What we do then is of course, is actually anybody (laughs) uh, having uh, a problem that this uh, service is solving. uh, That's where it all starts with the customer, with the problem and Then at one point you can figure out pretty fast, of course, hey, there is a problem, there is a customer, there is a sizable opportunity. Then you can have still the option, are we going to buy, build or partner, right? And buying acquisition is what large companies do, but also most acquisitions feel, but not a lot of people are aware of. Basically Mm -hmm. the same failure rates within acquisitions, um, uh, but it looks more easy. Uh, from a large corporation perspective, um, so that buy-build partner decisions should be part of the same innovation process. Yeah, so what we at Innerleap have is an is an end-to-end process from idea to scale, in which we say within six months we know that there's a scalable opportunity, yes or no. Then the investment decision comes. Look, if it's becoming a service or we don't have the capabilities because it's a different business model, it's an e-commerce model, for example. Uh, Within FMCG, of course, all these companies put it in retail. But what if we see uh, an opportunity in the personalized nutrition domain with a service, right? And and that's becoming a very popular and normal thing, which startups work on. Um, So after these six months, we can also say, look, we have done our job. There is a problem. There is a solution now. And let's have a look at what type of company is out there that actually is doing this very well we can partner with. Uh, if they have a channel, if they have an e-commerce channel, why not? Let's have a look if they would like to partner. Um, maybe you can already see a couple of small bets, like, hey, why don't we invest in a couple of these companies, right? To spread our bets. But you can also say we can also build it ourselves. Um, and of course, all these different paths for execution and scaling, uh, there are pros and cons. And that's what you would like to discuss with each other um, uh, in these investment meetings what is then the the way to scale uh, and there, there are multiple options so for me internal external um it's part of the same journey um, and we always need to have a look how can we achieve our goal the best the fastest um, and then we go for a certain solution
0: exactly so um uh you know uh stepping to the side and back to the book um can you just, so the 10 X growth, growth engine, right? Like, um, yeah. can you explain how it becomes an engine?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the, so the, the idea of the 10 X growth machine is that machine.
0: sorry, my yeah, no, no. book got a lot. No, worries. no, no
1: worries. worries. It'll be, it, it'll
0: be linked. It'll be linked in there, my worry.
1: <laughs> no worries. It's okay. No, no. So the whole idea of the book is that look, um, we see, as a large company, that we are losing revenues because consumer trends and and behavior is changing. We see new companies with new business models, and we need to act upon it. So, only incremental innovation or product innovation and making a new taste, creating a different packaging, it's not enough anymore. So. We need to dive into the whole idea of disruptive uh, innovations different types of business models so the idea of the 10x growth machine is to having this separate system more entrepreneurial system that um you know empowers entrepreneurial people uh, to work in a lean startup manner and identify new opportunities create mvps and then in the end also make scalable businesses that or are spinned out or it will be integrated in an independent business unit. It really depends on the type of innovation that we work on. How it becomes an engine. Sorry. So how it becomes an engine is what I describe in the book. Uh, Basically, uh, there are a couple of steps that needs to be in place or to be worked on. And it's not so much in a chronological order, which I will now talk about, but you just need to work on these different elements. And first of all is that you need to have an aligned idea on what are the opportunity spaces? Where can we uh, make money in the future? How can we use our capabilities that we have is that we make educated bets. And that is connected to what I call a growth gap. And so if you understand that your current business in 2025 um, is declining or it is already declining now, there is a gap between what you need to grow to your shareholders, right? So that gap, that growth gap that needs to be, let's say the starting point of how you build your portfolio. So you have these opportunity spaces, you understand how much revenue you need to make to bridge that growth gap in a certain time frame. Then also that means, okay, so what type of ideas are interesting enough to put in our innovation pipeline? that to make upfront an idea about, is this a big enough idea for us to go after? And of course, it's small in the beginning, but it, mm-hmm. needs, to, it needs to have a sense of this can become big, you know, like the, the meatless burger or the, the plant-based uh, industry is, of course, a nice example when it comes to SMCG. Yeah. So, that's, that's, so that's one, right? Alignment on opportunity spaces, portfolio and understand the concrete revenue number that the innovation engine needs to come up with within three to five, six, seven years. And that's something in that space. Then you diversify your types of innovations. So we can have core business innovations, which is not so much part of the 10X growth machine. So that's separate entity, but it can still be interesting to pursue in a lean startup way, but also talking about these white spaces, right? So personalized nutrition, e-commerce models, different types of channels, all stuff that is relatively new to the corporate. Then, so that's that's first. And step two is about, okay, how are we going from idea to scale? Is there a process uh, in which we can track the progress of these initiatives? And are they doing the right things? Are they fast enough? Which initiatives have a problem solution fit, which are going to product market fit, which are ready to scale? Because that says something about the health of your portfolio. Okay? So we need to have that lean end-to-end innovation process from idea to skill. And um, there should be a, a system of metrics, you know, that um is different than the traditional accounting KPIs like return on investment and uh you know let's say all the regular ones that a large corporation has but you need to have different types of metrics, which basically informs us is, hey, the team is learning from the market. How can we translate this learning into something that managers care about, which is dollars, euros, whatever currency it might be. So how can we translate learning into euros, which is that set of metrics behind the the innovation process? So I think these are a couple of important steps. And then, of course, Uh, Very important to understand. Look, um, how can we speed up our learning um, in a manner that doesn't hurt the corporation? Uh, So a lot of uh, obstacles are on a more tactical level. Um, So can we use an existing brand? Uh, And what type of conditions can we experiment with an existing brand? Can we sell a product that does not exist yet? Right. So, this is really the, the spirit that, of course, entrepreneurial people ideally have. Uh, before we waste money on building a product, let's see if, if we can actually uh, get a sell sale. Right. Um, so, there on these, yeah, on this type of, of execution, there are a lot of um, obstacles. So, we need to create a second set of rules uh, and policies that enable fast learning so that's also something to work on so how can we use the legal knowledge get them on board and then flip it to a set of rules that enable fast learning and this is for corporation, uh tough work um, let's say it's, it's more into the nitty-gritty uh, details of things but that is something absolutely that should be in place and last but not least um, a fund you know is there sufficient funding for scaling up because annual budgeting uh, is nice, um, but we just need to have a fund that uh, implies, like Eric Reese also talks about, this metered funding principle, right? So mm-hmm. basically, we have a fund. You have teams learning from the market, building MVPs. Uh, and if you hit your milestones in the process, there's not a discussion anymore. Are we getting funded? No, there is already funding. You prove that there is an opportunity. Now let's go. So you, you keep the speed by yep. applying this metered funding principle and then there's actually allocated funds available because otherwise you are, look, you're starting three months. Hey, there is something and then you need to wait for two years because nobody is aligned on, hey, are we investing in this? Where do we get the money from? You know, so yeah, you don't want that. So you want to have all these things in place, you know, and the big elephant in the room is, of course, uh, a different mindset. And so um, a more entrepreneurial founders mentality driven mindset. And so instead of making ideological discussions about problems, how can we solve this pragmatically tomorrow? You know, that's the shift that you would like to make. And um, yeah, these things, this is how to make an engine, you know, this is how to make it more systematically uh, working.
0: And, and, and then like, you know, I think you kind of answered it, but I was going to say, how do you, you know, like these kind of like you know really big 10x, you know, big picture um, ideas. Yeah. How yeah. you you know balancing that versus shit? We can launch that
1: tomorrow under that brand, and we have the line to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So the interesting, I would say, benefit of of how we work, uh, you gain tremendously uh, a lot of insights. You know, all in a short time amount. And what you will always see is that there are uh, a quick fix uh, quick fixes so basically hey we have figured out how to improve the product as it is uh, pretty fast it can be something on pack it can be something on taste on occasion when can this be applied and so there are a lot of sometimes quick fixes uh, that we can implement pretty fast and to balance it in the sense that if we start with an opportunity space, we will discover a lot of things. You will discover also quick fixes. And that is something, you know, um, I would actually say an extra advantage of, of this way of working uh, is that you can also launch incremental improvements very fast. Um, because how we operate is that uh, we work in sprint demos and they are the right type of people uh, we're showing our progress on what we learned from the market uh, so we can present very easy. Look, we figured out from the customer a couple of ones uh, they left your existing product. This is why these are the improvements. We already tested it. Uh, basically, you can, you can roll it out pretty fast. And then, of course, the team yeah. focus again more on the disruptive uh, opportunities.
0: Yeah, well, so it's kind of like almost like product market fit, right? You just kind of discovered yep. it. In the process, yeah. right? Like, shit! Yeah. All you need to do is change the flavor here, and you're gonna ten X the sales, right? It's Like, uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Sometimes right, so it that, can be that. Yeah. Sometimes it can be that practical. Absolutely.
0: And and then look, um, you know, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking to you in the beginning. You know, you had to wear a mask when you walked in the shop, right? So I mean, there's there's crazy crazy things happening in the world right now, uh, to a different degree in, in, in depending on what continent you're on, so on and so forth. I'd like to think that this is having, uh, um, you know, an indirect benefit to innovation. Do you see that from like, you know, ground zero, that, you know, um, these big corporates are more, you know, more willing to be experimental with business models or whatever else given COVID?
1: Yes, I see that COVID accelerated, let's say, the thinking around um, innovation in itself. So you see now that um, if I look very simple at the briefs um, that we are working on, it's going a little bit more to also different types of business models. Um, So that is really, I see really that there is a a change in the type of things that we work on. Yeah, absolutely. The world is not going to be the same and the world is not going to be the same in a couple of years. And that's what I think more dribbling down in, in a lot of people's minds.
0: And does that also like, it, I almost see this kind of um, uh, evening of, of of the playing field, you know, from a global perspective, are you seeing more like, um, you know, uh, opportunities come from from random places around the world now,
1: just from your reputation locally? It's do, do you mean if I see more and more different opportunities in different geographies or
0: yeah, yeah, sorry, like just because, like, typically, so, um, you know, uh, you know, US companies come into you, for example, whatever, where they, you know, um, where they wouldn't have thought about this pre COVID, it would just be to go to Silicon Valley or, you know, you know, uh, yeah. that COVID also kind of, you know, uh, flattens the
1: earth, yeah, so I think that. You know that is true. I don't see it yet a lot of happening, though. I also know, but it's really I'm 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 not talking about Europe, eh? Hey? Um, mm. But what I do see American companies, of course, launching their products in Europe. But that was already also, you know, before COVID, I would say. But um, what is of course very different is that uh, the channels that these companies use is, is is e-commerce, and so it's all focusing on online sales. Uh, delivery at home um, and now what I also see and that's coming from the US a bit more to Europe is ghost kitchens eh? so the horeca and the restaurants of course suffer, yeah. uh, suffer tremendously from uh, COVID um, so investments in ghost kitchens uh, that's what's happening and it's um, happening more and more so uh, and that's really uh, entering also all these different geographies
0: yeah, well, yeah. Two two prime examples there, like the direct con- to consumer for a lot of these big corporations was just unthinkable until recently, yep. right?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. We're, yeah,
0: we're not going to yeah, cut yeah. off our wholesalers. We would upset you know, some of our biggest customers, so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. and you see, you know, changes are there. There are changes. Yep, absolutely.
0: So, um, look, Misha, I'm, I'm mindful of your time here. Um, yeah, Chris, cool. what's the yeah, what's, what, what's, what's next for Misha and, um, and um, how do people
1: find you? Look, um, the next steps for myself is to uh, work, of course, on uh, more projects for large corporations. I'm really focusing now on helping, bringing the right type of um, processes, metrics, mindset in place with large corporations. It's uh, something that I also really enjoy. Uh, and to bring it to a scale so um, what we do in europe can we bring it to china can we bring it to us sometimes we already do it as you know Uh, so really working on that part Uh, and if you're interested you know just connect with me on linkedin you can always send me an email um, which you can share uh, later chris and um, you know let's catch up and explore opportunities
0: absolutely thank you very much for joining me misha
1: cool man chris thanks a lot take care
0: Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at any event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.